when you quit drinking, did you suddenly realize that there were a bunch of empty spaces in your life that you were dumping alcohol into, trying to fill them up? That seems to be a common occurrence in recovery, and it certainly was for all of our guests on this episode. Listen as we dig into how we fill the different voids that show up in our lives, including the time void, the emotional void, and the void of purpose, when we stop trying to fill them with alcohol. Welcome to Through the Glass Recovery Podcast, where we believe that connection is the opposite of addiction, vulnerability is the antidote to shame, and that recovery isn't just rewarding, but it's also a lot of fun. We're your hosts, Julie and Steve. Listen as we get together with friends to shed light on the hard things, talk about the other side of addiction, and how we create a life so full there's no space left for alcohol. One of the things we talk about in this episode is how important finding community has been for each of us when it comes to filling the emotional and social voids of sobriety. We just want to make sure all our listeners know that we host a weekly meeting on Monday nights at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on Zoom. It's a great place to connect, make new friends, and start filling those empty spaces with meaningful conversations and support. If you're looking for a community, visit our website at throughtheglassrecovery.com for more information. All right. So welcome to episode 37 of Through the Glass Recovery podcast. We have an awesome group here tonight. We've already kind of been hanging out and laughing. This is going to be so much fun. Mm -hmm. So we are going to do introductions. We'll start with Maggie. How are you today? I'm so good, Julie. I'm so happy to be here. I am Maggie Jensen. I'm 32. I live in Las Vegas, I guess, ironically. And I have, I started my sober journey in 2020, uh, about a month before quarantine and total lockdown. And I'm so thankful that I did. I don't know how I would have gotten through those months that year. Um, and it was just such a learning experience for me. I will say my perspective is a little different. I practice harm reduction. So um, I don't go 100% abstinent. I do not promote that all of the time for everyone because I think taking the pressure off makes it a lot easier for some individuals. So I know that sometimes my ideas are a little bit different, but uh, I'm happy to be here and just be swapping ideas with everybody. Yeah, it is great to have you here. And I will include Maggie's information and, and everybody's information in the show notes. So you guys can check that out. Well, thank you for being here, Maggie. Looking forward to chatting with you. And next, we're going to go with Matt. Hey, everybody. Yeah, my name is Matt Gardner, Julie, and Steve. Thank you so much for having me on today. And Ben, I've met you before, and great to meet you as well, Maggie. So happy to be here. I am four years sober. I just had my four-year sober birthday at time of recording a couple uh, a couple weeks ago, actually. On, uh, awesome. Yeah, thank you. Congratulations, man. Appreciate that. Thanks. And uh, yeah, so I've been doing sober coaching for the last probably 14 or 15 months. So I left my previous job of 23 years and have been doing that for the last uh, about 15 months or so. And also do a podcast. That's how I met Ben. He was a guest on my show. And um, yeah, just really happy to be here. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for being here. Really nice to meet you. And last but not least, we have Ben. Yes, thank you uh, for having me. Good to to see everyone here. My name is Ben Tuff, and yes, that is my born name, not my stage name. <laughs> and 
I have been sober actually 11 years a week ago. So I just awesome. Congratulations. celebrated Congrats. Uh, my, my sober anniversary. Thank you. And it, it's funny because I actually get more joy out of that anniversary than I do my real birthday, uh, yeah. which I think is a, a sign of a true alcoholic who's proud of what they've done and, and, yeah. and what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and I did... I also had a little bit of a change of scenes. I was a boarding school teacher for 21 years. And this past summer, I had a documentary filmed uh, about me and my swimming uh, called Swim Tough, which will be coming out in just a couple weeks time. So I'm really excited about that and how that's going to allow me to positively affect other people's lives and, and bring change for those who need it. Right on. That's really, really cool. Congrats, Ben. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that is some really exciting stuff there. And I hear you on the sober anniversary sometimes being more important than the birthday. I feel like that's when my life finally started. So mm-hmm. I uh, I agree with you on that. Um, for our topic tonight, since we've started this podcast and also just in conversation with other people in recovery, I hear a lot of mention about filling the void. I think there's an emptiness inside of us that so many of us, we eventually start using alcohol to fill. When we remove alcohol from our lives, we leave a lot of empty space that needs filling. So what does that look like for you? What does that void look like in your life? What have you done to fill it? And is there anything that you're still working through? Such a good topic. But yeah, I was, took the words out of my mouth. I was literally going to say that exact sentence. <laughs> like it can go so many directions, right? So I'm yeah. excited to hear what you guys have to share. And Steve and I will for sure jump in. But mm-hmm. yeah, anybody I'm, feel free to start. I'm, I'm happy to start because mine is very, very, very extreme. <laughs> and so I went to five weeks of rehab in, in Connecticut and as I went to the four or five meetings I had to go to, I was told you need to find something after this. You need to find something because you're going to have a lot of time. You're going to have to do something healthy and you're going to have to do, do something for yourself. And like behind me, I had like two old ladies who were like knitting and crocheting. And I was like, okay, I will X that off the list. Uh, (laughs) But I actually, I got into triathlon and eventually ultra marathon swimming. And I took it to a whole other level. And, and now I'm doing these swims for, you know, 25 to, to 30 miles. And, you know, for me, I have found the peace that I'm looking for in, in the same, the same way I found an escape in the bottle. Uh, some people say, well, you just kind of swapped one addiction for another. And yeah, that's true. But at least... Unhealthy, right? Yeah. So there is a certain part of my brain that tells me, okay, you need to go for your swim every day. But it's not because I need to escape things. It's because I know that during that time, I can process when I need to process through that time, through that day. I can have that time with my higher power and I can get through it in a way that not only is it not hurting anybody around me but it's actually benefiting myself. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it seems like a lot of the people that I come in contact with 
that um, struggle with alcohol abuse are very much all or nothing people. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing and what you're saying. I hear so many people in recovery that are like, and then I took it to another level. I <laughs> know for me, I hike and, you know, most people are happy with a two mile or six mile hike. And I uh, just under a year sober was like, I am going to go for a 250 mile hike like wow. all or nothing, <laughs> yeah. you know, pack it all up and start walking. And yeah. you know what though? And maybe that is swapping one thing for another, but instead of running from my problems, I'm facing them head on and I'm taking the time to really face them and work through them, like you said. So I just think it's funny that whole, and then I took it to another level. I think almost yeah. every alcoholic <laughs> says that at some point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Definitely. I have a, a similar story not quite as extreme but i definitely i found so interesting i had two components to my sobriety i was sober for a little over three years from uh, 2012 to 2015 and then decided to try moderation and that didn't work out so well and uh you know and then i went back to so the when i first started very similar to ben's and the the way that i i started going to the gym every day and it was something that was on my periphery it was one of these things like this should like you know, I, I should, I should get to the gym or I, I'll get to the gym one day. It was always on my periphery and, you know, I, I would try it. I'd have like a strong bow, you know, a, a tall strong bow and then go to work out and be like, wonder why it felt like crap. Right. And be like, okay, this isn't really working. So I'm going to have to like stop drinking altogether before I get to the gym. And so that was immediately what I did. So again, replacing one habit with another one, a much healthier one. And I found that like the mental health aspect that came with the exercise was like, wow, it was incredible. It really... Uh, a lot of the, what I was trying to chase with drinking, which was usually just the first sip, to be honest with you, that like dopamine rush or whatever it was, yeah. uh, I was getting a lot of that from working out just normally. So that worked out very well for me, uh, initially. And then all, honestly, the, um, I wasn't really necessarily dealing with the why, like, like it filled the void to a degree. And that's actually what I've been working on this. The second stint of sobriety is, is working on all the layers of like the emotions and figuring out that I, I do still have these patterns. I have a very big pattern of achievement or distraction, right? So if I start mm -hmm. feeling lo lonely or some of these feelings I used to avoid or numb, I still have patterns that avoid or numb them. That being, okay, well, I'll just pick up my, uh, let's let's surf Instagram for a while. Or, oh, I got those yep. podcasts to upload or do these different things that I'm, I'm just now realizing at 41 that I have, these, mm -hmm. I still have these patterns that are numbing, avoiding, pushing down these feelings I've had. So uh, definitely a work in progress, but just raising my awareness to that and, you know, just working at it a little bit at a time and, and giving myself some grace and, and, uh, you know, working through it with journaling and meditation and other things that were again on the periphery that I'm actually, you know, doing nowadays. I think I could echo everything. I mean, I resonate so deeply with kind of switching the focus to something that's going to be physically challenging, that's going to uh, be that stress alleviation, but also the confidence booster. I found that my biggest void, and I'm sure we're all birds of a feather here, is was like childhood trauma, lack of confidence, lack of self-worth. And so I noticed that if I just got rid of alcohol, that meant I would look for that in food or in other people in company that I didn't need to be surrounding myself with. So I really started progressive overload with the gym, tracking my workouts instead of just going with a hangover and feeling like crap. I was like, nope, 
I'm going to go without alcohol and I'm going to track everything every day. And that really boosted my confidence. And I had people saying like, well, aren't you switching addictions? Just like Ben mentioned. And, you know, through my, just my self-study, it's like, no, an addiction is something that brings about negative consequences that you can't quit. But this just brings about positive, positive benefits. And so filling it, filling my time with working out, I'm huge on my walks. I, I think, how many steps am I getting today versus... Mm-hmm. Uh, don't drink, Maggie. You sh- you better not drink. And mm-hmm. it's just all of these, this health consciousness versus kind of this victim mentality of life is happening to me. When I get out and I set my mind right, those stressors don't affect you the same way. Adversity does not affect you or sink in as deep. If you've got all of your ducks in a row from your self-care routine, mm-hmm. you've got your mindset right, and you're focused forward. I know my void was really, really just gaping wide when I was always focused behind me on the shame, the guilt, the remorse. And now it's like, let that be, let sleeping dogs lie and just go forward, Maggie. (laughs) Interestingly enough for me, physical activity wasn't even a part of it. It's, it, it wasn't a part of it at all. I am a COVID sober baby. So I quit drinking in isolation. Wow. So, I mean, there was my wife, who's my ex now, and I I have two little girls. So I quit, and all I had was Zoom meetings. Right. Right. I mean, that was I, I getting out of the house because of the relationship that I was in wasn't healthy to begin with. Getting out of the house, I would be met with guilt in one way or another. So even going to do stuff was never really fulfilling because when I came back, there was damage waiting to happen. And so I, like, I got sober within a really emotionally unhealthy relationship, partially due to my drinking and partially just due to this was the nature of the existence that I was in, the nature that I woke up to going, wow, okay. So physical activity for me, never happened. I mean, I, so for me, I like, if I look at this, I had a time void that I needed Mm -hmm. to fill. Right. And I filled that with baking. I filled that with making Mm -hmm. bread. I filled that with uh, like trying to figure out what I liked. So I was like bread, baking bread kind of saved my life a little bit because it gave me an escape. It gave me something Mm -hmm. to do inside an environment that was already really stressful for me. And I look at this and first there was like the time void that I had. And then I had this emotional void that started showing up because I, I didn't, what were friends with oh, Jesus Christ? I don't, who are they? What are those? Th- those, those were the people I guess that I was going to meetings. Cause I couldn't go anywhere else. I couldn't, you couldn't go and see people that was like impossible. So I couldn't even like test those waters. So what do I do? So. For me, connection was through meetings, basically where we're sitting kind of thing, right? And mm. and and talking to people and actually finding that freedom an hour a day or every other day or whatever it was. And then now I'm sitting with the void of purpose. What what is that? What does that look like to me? Does my is my career fulfilling? No much like I hear from Ben and Matt is, you know, you have, you, you've had a career of almost 20 years 
and and you're like, mm -hmm. you know what? It's time to actually put my energy into something that's uh, that's not only going to give back, but it's going to give back to me too. And yeah. and so I've got and and I've struggled with the emptiness of career ever since I woke up from my sobriety. And there's mm -hmm. I have a really hard time with that that one there. That one there is like the next little piece of my puzzle, but. The emotional void, I think, is probably the absolute hardest one outside of time to start filling because there's friends that disappear and there's spouses that you outgrow or end up clashing with. And there's so much there about even learning about myself and accepting me for who I am and filling that void that makes it really, really difficult. Thanks for sharing that. Wow. I don't think that I recognized for a long time, even after I got sober, that I had an emotional void. Mm. I don't even think that I, like, I have spent the majority of my life lacking emotional connection. And I didn't even know what it looked like or what it was or that it existed. And so going into sobriety, I think it was very much drinking that away without even knowing what it was it took actually finding connection meaningful connection meaningful conversation generally through the recovery community but also in a couple of, of friends that I've had for me to realize that's what was really missing in my life and that is a massive avoid to start to try to fill it doesn't happen quickly and it doesn't happen easily but I think for me, that was probably the biggest void that I've had to face. Yeah, it's a, it's super relatable, right? Like the whole, like one of the reasons that I started drinking in the first place is I felt like I never fit in, you know, it was like, that was like my social lubricant, right? So when it's, when that's removed, I'm, I was just left with myself and I just felt like, yeah, kind of like what uh, Maggie was mentioning, just, I had like a lot of self doubt in the first place. Right. So then when it's, when, when the alcohol is pulled away. And it's there and it's, it's, you know, it's advanced and it's like, it's got all these different variants to them that have like accumulated over my years of drinking. And so, yeah, absolutely. Like the whole emotional sobriety thing is, and that's why like, and you mentioned it, uh, Julia was like, when you start getting worthwhile conversations with people, like the conversation we're having now, where like, as soon as you get into like a room of recovery, you, whether it's a zoom room or whether you're in person for me, and I'd be interested to see what you guys have to say about it my need for like a persona or ego just like melts away and I can just speak from my heart, you know, and it's, it was like instantaneous. So when I, I say that to say when I went to my first AA meeting, that was where I was like, I felt a little, like a physical weight come off my shoulders. I started tearing up. It didn't really matter what was being said, but just being in the energy of, of those people that night truly saved my life. And just, I could literally just feel this need to like, you know, hide something or about myself, just melt away. And, and I got okay. that from, from talking with people in recovery. Yeah. That just being real. Right. For the first time. And who knows how long that's where those tears came from for me too. Yeah. It was just being, just being real. Like, oh my God, I can tell the truth. Cause I lied so much. Mm. Right. Like that was, it, it, that was to avoid the void <laughs> right it was mm -hmm. just to avoid yeah. it completely was the only way to feel connected to anyone was 
I guess I thought was to agree with what they were saying right and like what they were liking and totally totally so relatable and as long as you know I could smile and nod and laugh and giggle with all the stuff that they were laughing and giggling regardless of whether I understood it or not that was okay for me because I didn't know any better there's there's a lot of I didn't know any better and mm-hmm. getting stuck in that getting stuck in 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 the self-abandonment Mm. part of the addiction where the only thing that mattered was the next drink for the most part and you don't really realize that until you stop <laughs> right mm-hmm. yeah i think the the next drink and the next thing i say are people going to like that it's like i was mm-hmm. always looking for that thing outside of me mm-hmm. to give me that feeling of like you're you're good enough to be here. So it's that next drink. And then it's, well, if I'm the chameleon in this social environment and I just agree with everything you say, even if I'm lying, even if I'm not being myself, well, that makes me good enough. And for, you know, me to get to where I'm at, for you guys to get to where you're at, we had to look at ourselves and say, I'm good enough because I decided it. It's not what anybody else thinks about me or what the alcohol makes me feel, I I can do that on my own. And I think for me, I've had a little bit of a different experience where I didn't ever look for the connections really outside of me. What I realized was that I have zero connection with myself. Mm-hmm. I have absolutely no idea who I am other than a liar. <laughs> I think it was really profound that you brought that up. Like I was lying to other people, but I was lying to myself, boy. Mm-hmm. So I had to really kind of shut out the world, which was what was amazing about the quarantine time for me. I was like, just timing was impeccable because I needed to sit with my feelings for that long and see why is it that I'm so disconnected from myself and trace that back. Mm. Mm. For for me, it, it was the feeling of being alone that really destroyed me in, in my drinking because... I would drink on my own. I would hide it. I would find excuses to drink with other people. But even then, I was only drinking with those other people, not because I enjoyed their company, but because it was an excuse to drink. Mm -hmm. And it was an excuse to escape. So once I got sober and I was in this house in rehab, surrounded by all these other guys who were going through the exact same things I was going through with a lot of common ideas in our stories. It was like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. And I still have sober friends and I still have friends who who don't drink. But, you know, yesterday I talked to my my first sponsor and we catch up every week or so. And he calls me, he still calls me out of my BS. He was like, Ben, stop, like, stop doing that to yourself. Like, get your head out of the gutter. All right. Be, be happy with what you're, with what you are going right now. And I was like, man, no one else does that. Like, why is it that it takes another person in recovery to really see through all the BS? Uh, And then I kind of thought of it. I was like, well, because he does the same thing to himself and, and it's that idea of not being alone anymore when we're called out, when we're set straight and 
why I come off of those phone calls saying, oh, like, I feel so much better. Like, I feel so relieved, even if it's not what I want to hear. <laughs> yeah. Maggie was saying too, we, I think a lot of us have like the, the victim mentality that all of these things are happening to us. As soon as we recognize that filling that void is our responsibility, that we can't look outside of ourselves and look for other people to take care of that for us. I think that's when we become empowered and that's when we become comfortable with ourselves. I know for me, the loneliness is big, but then like Maggie said, that sitting by yourself, being alone with yourself, it took me a long time to get comfortable mm -hmm. just being alone with my own thoughts. And I think, you know, that that whole process of filling that emotional void, it, it definitely helps to have other people in recovery to share that with. And it just is, I don't know, for me, so many different aspects and perspectives get shared in a room like this or in, a, in I, never, I never did AA, but in other meetings that I've been to, that it just lets you see what there is that you still need to work on. Mm -hmm. And you pick little bits out of here and little bits out of there and you work to just keep filling your life. That's why we say all the time, create a life so full, there's no space left for alcohol. Yeah. That's, mm -hmm. I mean, that's been my motto since I first quit drinking. And sometimes you don't even recognize that empty spot for a while. And then, then something happens and you see the opportunity to to find one more way to fill your life with something meaningful. Solitude is a wonderful thing and it's mm -hmm. scary as hell all at the mm -hmm. same time. So like the first time that I really got to sit myself, sit with myself was I drove to Colorado. I live just outside of Toronto, Ontario, and I drove to Colorado. That's a 24 hour trip. And I drove to Colorado by myself and I slept in the truck on the way and there was no one else there. And I spent eight hours of that trip with no music on, nothing. Just, and I, like I did it, I, I tried doing it intentionally because there was, there were some points within that where I was just like, you get itchy and I get all this like twisty and like, this is just weird. But so much of it was like, teach. I, I taught myself to like really be present for the first time and like notice the stuff on the side of the road and really get into the actual drive. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, it was the first road trip that I ever went on that was insanely long. It was really amazing. I was looking forward to it, but I was scared of it all at the same time. But it was really amazing to, to do that. And I think that part of the loneliness for me was is I never really connected to my authentic self. I never really connected to me. And once I figured out and I started learning what, who I was, cause I, I, I presented to the world something that wasn't really me. And because I did that, the world reflected that back to me. <laughs> right. And so right. I was rewarded or not rewarded for myself being fake. And now it, it's, it's happening the opposite. I get to be real. I have the opportunity to tell my truth. I have the opportunity to present me as who I am. And at least this way, the reflection that I get back is an authentic reflection of the world because I am choosing to be present within it instead of lying to it. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. That's uh, when you mentioned, Steve, I just came back like literally about an hour before we started. 
from my big like a 12 hour road trip i did similar where i'd have like chunks of time where i would like to be, be just silence like no music and mm-hmm. i find that podcasts and audiobooks can be somewhat numbing as well right it's just yep. like it gets me into that like uh interest and curiosity of self-development and such and it's great yeah. but i'm like i want to like be able to integrate it too because otherwise i just keep doing that and then that's another pattern that i have of myself right so i intentionally did the same thing and like you were saying, just being very like present about like, it was a beautiful drive, right? So being very, uh, just any sensation that's going, I have very much, uh, I'm the same way, man. Like I don't sit very well for very long. So, you know, six hours in and it's hot. I'm starting to kind of get all yeah, twisty, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And, but it's good though. It's really, it's good for me. I imagine it was like, it sounded like it was good for you. It was an amazing experience. Yeah. Cause I got to drive back too. It was just amazing right. experience. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. And so I ended up doing like about halfway through too. I'm like, there was stuff coming up and where normally I'd be like, okay, turn on the podcast. I actually took out my voice recorder and just started, started letting it fly, you know, and it felt great to do. And I felt shifted my energy and my spirit had shifted from doing that. And some of it was some admittance. Some of it was like, yeah, just calling myself out on some things that are opportunity areas for for me that I don't think I would have normally done had I been at home, but just like the stimulation of being out on the road and being out of my environment and putting myself in a situation where I could raise my, you know, consciousness and awareness in that such a way. So it's really cool. You mentioned that, uh, you know, yeah, definitely some parallels. So I wanted to jump in and share that story. Really cool. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, as I, as I process what's gone on for me the last 11 years and I waited, you know, 10 and a half years to, of sobriety to change jobs. And that was a long period of time that I was kind of just like dragging my feet, kind of stuck in the same old, same old. And it all came down to purpose mm-hmm. for me. And I knew that it was there. I just needed to take that step. It would be the equivalent of me driving cross country in a tractor trailer, getting paid thousands of thousands of dollars and then going in like a 1955 convertible and just like going at my own speed, enjoying it, not getting paid at all because I'm not getting paid at all yet, but uh, hopefully that will come um, with, with time. But in, in the end, as, as, as my dad told me, he's, he was like, there's never a good time for anything. So mm-hmm. just go with your heart and, and, and find that purpose because if you find purpose and you find what you love, then you're never going to go starving and neither is your family. And right. I was like, wow, well, Powerful. okay. Yeah. This, mm-hmm. I thought you would say the opposite, but let's go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That is super supportive. I think that's a huge piece of this filling the void is not just recognizing what you have to do, but then finding the courage to just jump mm-hmm. and that's really scary because a, a lot of times we can see that change that needs to happen in our lives. But to actually make that change can take a long time to work up the courage and to convince ourselves that we really can do it. I know for me, I did a lot of work in the Rewired book by Erica Spiegelman. I've talked about it a lot on here, but um, I kind of dragged Steve through some of those chapters with me. And we got to the evolution chapter, which is all about looking at your life and seeing how it needs to change and evolve. And Steve, he is making faces right now, was very uncomfortable with that. And it's easy. That's an easy place to get stuck in your recovery. And 
I think until you work your way through it, there's always going to be that that empty space, that void, especially if you're doing something, spending the majority of your time doing something that has nothing to do with what you feel like your real purpose is. And most of us in recovery just start figuring out what our real purpose is in life yeah. once we get sober. A lot of us had no idea until we quit drinking what that even is. So that's a huge mm-hmm very long and grueling process, I think, to make all of those changes and let ourselves evolve. And I think that's the, everyone's talked about like giving themselves a little bit of grace. None of this is fast. Like one of the most, I think, important things of recovery is patience. None of this growth, at least for me, hasn't happened in in an instant. It's all been circumstantial it's all been picking away at at it and it's all happened one way or another and it's not always by choice but it's required a lot of patience like i can't want it now i can't want it i have to go and get it it's a different completely different story completely different way of doing that and I can't get to that end without starting somewhere. And that's where evolution always got me because I I had a really long way to go to even bother. So it seems like even in early sobriety, everything seems like so far away. And really in the end, how to get there is just that one day at a time is just keep picking away at it and eventually you wake up and you're like holy cow it's i'm just over two years sober i have come a long freaking way i have a lot to be proud of i've done a lot of hard things this is pretty awesome and i i know when at at three months whenever i hit those like small milestones i was like you spent i spend that time reflecting and and even at three months when i look back i'm like yes i am not that guy Woo! yeah (laughs) right yeah, Julie, I just wanted to circle back to like what you mentioned about, and it's just one of the topics that we've been riffing on is like the whole idea of like purpose. So for me, it was like when I had to, I've been doing the same job for, for, well, I mean, obviously been getting promoted. Like I started when I was 16 years old and through the 23 years, it was basically my, it was my first job. And I went all the way to like assistant store manager. And there was definitely some part of me that was starting to feel unfulfilled by what I was doing. And then it just got turned way up as soon as I removed the drinking part. And I remember saying to myself similar, like, obviously I've got a very nimble justification, you know, mechanism in my brain. Cause I certainly from the drinking. So I was doing that with the, my job too. I'm like, well, you know, you got all the benefits. I got six weeks paid vacation. Yeah. I only have to do this for another 15 years. I would say to myself, like super, like, ah, it's only another 15 years. So as soon as I'd say that my, I'd feel my body just like the opposite of expansion, I guess, contract. Right. And I'm like, okay, something is here. Something is like, I need to explore this a little bit. So that's what led me to, you know, down the path that I'm on now. So I wanted to mention that uh, as far as like, again, just I, 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 it would have been easy for me just to continue on, you know, doing the job, coming home, having a few drinks, you know what I mean? And I could, I, we, I wouldn't be talking to you guys right today. Right. But, right. you know, removing the drinks from it. And then, you know, and then there was definitely something in there and it was, a, it was a sensation. Like there was a sensation in my you know, the pit of my stomach, it, it felt very sort of like, I guess hard to describe. I don't want to get too far into that, but you know what I mean? There was something there that was like telling me, okay, there's something else to explore here. So, and that's what I did. Intuition. 
Yeah, yeah. Prickly. <laughs> My intuition is very prickly in it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah. 100%. That's yeah. a lot of those times where it gets uncomfortable, where we're like, no, I'm not going to listen to that. 100%. Yeah. That's, that's the point where you're, where you said, I thought I would explore that. Yes. When you get prickly or itchy or twisty, that's, <laughs> that's the cue. That's the, yeah. I, I, I need to explore this. Because there's something yeah. there yeah. that I could probably do mm -hmm. so I can not be so prickly. And it's going to be good for you regardless. It's going to be good right. for you. Mm -hmm. Totally. And, 100%, 100%. And when you're drinking daily, it's very easy to overlook that, not even feel it, or just shut it up. Oh, I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to have to move outside of my comfort zone. But it's when you remove the drinking that those gut hunches, those physical reactions start to really take over to the point where you're like, okay, I'm freaking listening. What should I do now? <laughs> and yeah. uh, you just like following it to the point where you kind of look up, like you said, Steve, and you're like three months down the road. Whoa, look at all the cool things I've done. And I think that, you know, anybody that isn't doing something aligned with their purpose, something that's fulfilling, it's going to sound very good to go back to the escaping agent. I think that mm. finding purpose is the, I would say that's the biggest ingredient in living sober or living a life where alcohol is irrelevant. Even if you have one, you're able to cut yourself off and say no more because I enjoy being present for my life now. I love it so much that I don't want to have this distraction here. And it sounds crazy, like to my old self, if I would have told that to myself five years ago, I'd been like, here's the bird, go on, like, get yeah. out of here. <laughs> Just that finding is, that magic, yeah. And that's exactly what it, there's a magic in understanding who you are, what your values are, what's really important to you, really getting in touch with that, listening to your inner voice, which if, if we were drinking, I mean, all of us drank enough, to shut that inner voice off completely. Yeah. And it takes a lot of practice to start hearing it again. And then it trusting takes a it. lot of, and, and then to start, yeah, that's what I was going to say, to start trusting it. And my inner voice will tell me things. I'm like, nah, you don't know what you're talking about, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and as soon as you really start to trust your inner voice and start following it, I mean, you're following your values. And I think it was Maggie who said um, the alignment. Like when you're in alignment with your values and yourself and the, the actions that you're taking, the choices that you're making are in alignment with whatever your values are, then you can start feeling all those different voids start yeah. to fill with something meaningful instead of just trying to ignore them or or dump alcohol into them and hope that that fills it up. And I would, you know, add to that, that one of the greatest realizations I've had in 11 years of, of sobriety is that when I first got sober, a lot changed in a really good way, really, really good way. And there was so much momentum forward. And for some reason, I thought in the back of my head, that the rest of sobriety, as long as I didn't drink, it would always be that way. Hmm. Only to realize that there were going to be setbacks and I was going to have to face adversity. And that was life. But I wasn't going to drink over it. That was the piece that was different. Instead, I would have to deal with it in, in a healthy, proper way. And I've found that the way that I fill that void 
complements the setbacks in that it allows me the time to end and the ability to address those issues straight head on. And I mm-hmm. think you just set me up to wrap this up. <laughs> you talk about the adversity of life, right? Inside of the adversity of life, after we started on this journey, we have the time void, we have the emotional void, we have that void of purpose, we have the the void of acceptance, belonging, connection with yourself. Essentially, that is life. And sometimes life happens to us where we're missing those pieces. The greatest thing that we've done and that I've heard you all speak about is, is that you've found ways to fill that mm-hmm. because you've given yourself the opportunity to have setbacks, to have those failures, to have the successes and allow people to share it with us is one of the things that I don't think we ever did in a really authentic way. Share the ups, downs, and everything in between, even if it's just a normal day. Ben, Matt, and Maggie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your thoughts today. And thank you so much for your time. It was great having you guys on tonight. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Julie. Yeah. Thank you, thank guys. You guys. Very appreciated. And thank you to our listeners for sharing this space with us today. If you found some inspiration in this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend. And be sure to check back next week when we talk about how we have overcome loneliness in recovery.